0: sports this is tomahawk talk we are live on 89.7 fm here in tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu i'm your host gary putnick and fsu men's and women's basketball finally got back on the court this past week with a couple games against two powerhouse programs and we are also on to the championship round of the nfl playoffs and the nba season is starting to get pretty interesting we'll get to all of that throughout the show here but first As always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, you're a big Falcons fan, and you got to see a longtime rival, Drew Brees, possibly play his final game last night against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Are you going to miss him? No. No?
1: no? (laughs) I I, I saw a very mixed reaction from Falcons fans yesterday. There were those fans that were saying, oh, rivalry aside, he's a great player, set all kinds of records, first ballot Hall of Famer. I have the utmost respect for him, and I'm going to miss him. And then there's the other part that we're like, I am so incredibly glad to see this guy go. He does not have to terrorize my team anymore. There's not going to be any more controversies off the field like there were this past off season with the social justice issues and possibly being involved in a multi-level marketing scheme. We're not going to get into all that, but some people were very, very happy to see him go. I am one of those
0: i can, I see where you're coming from. that's me with Tom Brady and all that when he was when he's leaving New England. There's a part of me that enjoys that rivalry just because you, the back and forth even though the dolphins are usually on the losing end, but still it's it's still fun to have that rivalry there, but we'll get we'll get into a lot more of that when we have our uh good friend and anchor Gabe Tisnes on to discuss his saints, but we also we have a winner in the house here tonight, Sebastian Angel Riano feeling good. Got a little bit of swagger as he comes in. He's got his Tampa Bay Bucks beanie on tonight. How do you feel after last night's win? Ding dong, the
2: witch is dead. <laughs> uh, let me just preface that, like, for me, the um, you might have seen my uh, I suppose outbursts on Twitter. Very different from the la- last season's um, end of season, you know, Bucks Twitter rant. <laughs> so uh, feeling good. But you you might have seen like I. I want to clarify some things. First of all, like, I have no real, like, animosity towards Drew Brees. You know, uh, Drew Brees is just one piece of that, like, um, Saints puzzle. with Saints war machine, I guess you could call it. Uh, honestly, it boils down to this for me. You know, imagine having a franchise quarterback like Drew Brees for 15 years. 15 years. And you get him one ring. With it's like you have a coach like Sean Payton, who I do not like. Let me just <laughs> let me just, you know, uh be short and sweet about it and as polite as I can. I do not like Sean Payton. As a coach, and kind of as an individual, with the uh I think Austin put it pretty well, controversies that have been um, that have transpired at the New Orleans Saints with him at the helm. I'm not talking about um events that transpire outside of the New Orleans Superdome either. Uh, I'm specifically talking about um, on-field actions and events. Uh, So I'm not referring to the uh, ongoing court case that I have no idea what's going on with. But um, no, this one feels good. This one feels good. Uh, It's been two years since uh, the Bucks have beat uh, the Saints anywhere. Um, You know, it, it honestly is shades of... Two thousand two. I've I've brought up two thousand two many times now. Uh, but it's it's definitely like a it's this season's, you know, shut down the vet moment. It's one of my favorite lines by any bucks player ever. You know, after they win, after they finally, finally kill the beast that is Philly at home as their final memory and their beloved veteran stadium. What do they say? They say, Shut down the vet. No more vet. Shut down the vet. And this is kind of it. You know. Um, it doesn't feel quite the same because, you know, Philly was good in two thousand three. Uh, We'll get to it in the show in a bit. But, you know, I don't really think that um, New Orleans will be able to kind of claw their way out of this one. It's they've too, kind of kicked the yeah. can down the curb too long. And they have finally reached the end of the cul-de-sac, I it's think.
0: It's just like the Patriots. Like, I went back to there. So, I mean, it's they're going to take a long time to rebuild. I don't think Sean Payton is the same caliber of coach as Bill Belichick. And I'll say that to Gabe Tisnes' face. <laughs> Even though we did see what happened to Bill this year, but granted, Bill had a lot of players. A lot of his best players opt out this season. So, and he's got a pretty darn good draft position for this season. So he's he's doing just fine. I'm I'm still nervous
2: about Bill There's Belichick. Between Bill and Sean, hmm. it's like seven rings. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. But, but those, uh, those two don't even belong in the same sentence. Yeah, honestly, that, uh, they're still the disrespect real, they're, to Belichick.
0: They're still both good coaches, but yeah. we'll
2: we'll die we'll on dig- another level. Sean is who.
0: We'll keep on moving. We'll get to a lot more. We got a lot more room for Bucks and Saints talk. It's literally just going to be you and Gabe going at it between this because I, th- this was, I had no dog in this fight, and this was you guys. I mean, even Austin, he's more invested in it than I am just because of the NFC South. This was the NFC South intervention. Exactly, yes. You guys will get to have fun with that. I'll just be there to moderate. But let's talk about some FSU men's basketball because both men's and women's, they got back underway this week. Men's was 2-0 and coming er, – start or coming into the break that they had that COVID break of lasting over a couple of weeks. They were two and three out of their last three games, or losing two out of three of their last three games, not looking too hot. And they come busting out the gates, taking down NC State by a staggering amount. One of their their best offensive game according to Ken Palm in FSU history. And that was better than their 110 point uh game against Chicago State a few seasons ago. I mean Florida State, they took down uh, was they took down the wolf pack 105 to 72 in that first yeah. half they were they were buzzing all around. Awesome. What did you see?
1: I saw exactly what you saw. I mean, it was close for a few minutes there, but I believe it was I want to say like a 25 or 28 point advantage by the end of the first half. so
0: 57 yeah, 32 at the it, half
1: 25 points. It was never really in doubt beyond that. Um, and that's that's really good to see, especially with with Scotty Barnes uh, not playing in this game. Uh, Raekwon Evans slotted into his spot or he did play he didn't start mm-hmm. It was the next game that Barnes didn't play my mistake but Raquan Evans got the start for him got a career high 24 points so did not expect uh, him to pop like that sort of a career bench player at FSU but he had a really good showing and honestly like in the weeks leading up to FSU's return uh, FSU men's basketball's return we were saying on the show oh you never really know how a team is going to look after they return from COVID and I can't speak for Gary or Sebastian but at least for myself I just said that because I didn't want to outright say that FSU is going to just stumble as soon as they come back. So this was a completely unexpected result for me, as was the next game against UNC. I did not expect them to open up with a 32-point victory regardless of the the caliber of opponents. Uh, this was really great to see. Yeah,
0: and in that game for FSU, I mean Barnes only played uh, 13 minutes, put up 11 points. Mm-hmm. So he did uh, twist his, I believe, he twisted his ankle yes. in that game. That's why then he was out for the game against uh, UNC on the weekend. But they were they were clicking on all, firing on all cylinders, and that's something that we really haven't seen this team do in a game against a quality opponent or an ACC opponent yet. So that was really reassuring, and that it was a shock to see them come out that way and. These first two games both were a shock to me because I didn't expect them to really have that much go for these two games because a lot of time you would see them for that first game, okay, NC State, they use up all their gas there, and then they kind of pull it back a little bit. They don't maybe not have the same energy, but they still came back with it. And in that game against UNC, they had multiple uh, double-digit leads, and they weren't able to keep it up maybe that whole time there, but still they were able to get up big on that Tar Heels team, who maybe you could say isn't the best this year, but still an, a blue blood getting beat by the new blood once again.
1: Yeah, it's really an extension of 2020 because obviously we remember last season, uh, 2019-20, UNC was uh, had one of their worst teams in recent memory. Uh, this team is looking to be a little bit better, uh, but FSU was able to take, uh, take advantage this past weekend. Like you did mention, they had a couple uh, double-digit leads, let those slip away, but still... A seven-point victory in the ACC, I believe Leonard Hamilton likes to say, like a two-score victory in the ACC is a good win. So that's great for them. And really just looking at these two games uh, combined, a lot of the issues that we were pinpointing with Florida State before they had their little COVID break were rectified because they they missed one free throw combined across both games. I believe they went 37 of 38, uh, shot the lights out from three-point range. It was They shot 66.7 against uh, NC State, 12 of 18, and then 8 of 16 against UNC, and even 50%, so a lot better from beyond the arc. The one thing that I would say, though, uh, for what they should be improving on as they continue to get back to some sense of normalcy is their three-point defense because they let up 41.7 of their shots from distance against UNC and 42.3 against the NC State Wolfpack, so average, average out to 42. That's really not where you want to be if you want to be an elite defensive team, which is what past FSU teams have really prided themselves on, their defense.
0: I noticed the three-point shooting from UNC. This was the first time I was actually able to get a ticket for an FSU basketball game this year. I went alone by myself and sat in the upper deck for the game, and every single time UNC had an open look for a three, they made it. Yeah. Every time it was maybe slightly contested, or if there was a chance at contesting it, there was. it was maybe 50% were made. But still, all those wide-open threes that they were hitting were going in, and that maybe that's an anomaly, and you can say, yes, that is, but... It's you're going to get some teams like that once you get to tournament time, either in the ACC or the NCAA, where they're going to be shooting the lights out, and they're just going to be hot, and they're going to be on a run, and that can end your season. So that closing out is going to be a huge thing for this team going forward. And another thing that I noticed um, that, slight, that seemed to have changed was Bolsa Kopervitsa's play. Yes. He seems to be playing a lot more aggressive and with a lot more
1: fire right now.
0: And am I crazy or is that just me?
1: I get that as well. I think he's really coming into his own, his role as a starter. Uh, He was was kind of in and out of the starting lineup last season, just experimenting with different roster setups, uh, different lineups, putting a center in, taking a center out, whatever. But he has been that established five on this team. And he's uh, with each game, really, he's been coming more into his own. So I'm really happy with his progress. And I think he is just a sophomore, so he can become a lot, a lot more volatile as his career at FSU goes on.
0: Exactly, and also the backup for uh, Kopavitsa, Tanner, and Gom yep. has been also playing pretty darn well too. I, maybe he's not putting up the uh, points, but he's looking like he's getting more and more comfortable because this is his first season playing basketball in the United States, and so the play kind of changes. The speed of the game maybe is a bit different compared to back home, but. He's really starting to find and get in that groove a bit more, which is really nice to see out of him. But uh, we're actually we actually have FSU on right now at the moment. They're playing at Louisville right now, and in the first five minutes, they're up fourteen to four. Yep. So I've been we've kind of been looking at each other and talking. So I haven't really been able to notice what is going on. But
1: I mean, this team is I, I was not expecting fourteen to four out of the break. I definitely was not either, especially because Scotty Barnes. I actually don't know if he's checked into the game yet, but he at the very least was not starting. And Anthony Polite is not playing tonight. He,
0: so. he just checked in right okay, before gotcha. that, right before the U16 timeout. So Scotty Barnes is in, but was not in the starting lineup. The starting five was uh, Gray, Copravito, Wyatt Wilkes, uh, Evans, and then MJ Walker. So the the five that we've been seeing kind of being trotted out there. I mean, are how have you been liking seeing Wyatt Wilkes coming out in the starting lineup, especially for this game? I kind of a weird decision
1: yeah it's it's kind of strange but I mean he's had some rough games as of lately but if you insert him into the starting lineup and he pops then that is a huge payoff and so far he's taken two shots from distance made both of them Uh, this could be another run back of the Notre Dame game from last season where he just exploded for 17 points I believe Uh, every one of those 17 points was needed by the way and I think that any contribution he makes will be needed against a team that is as strong as Louisville uh, they were ranked 16 prior to this, this most recent batch of AP rankings, but uh, he is a, a guy that is hit or miss, but when he's on, he is lethal.
0: Another three made there. I did not get to see who that was, but FSU is up 17-7 to seven right now as Louisville takes the ball up the court 14 that minutes was, left in
1: the first. That was Scotty Barnes Scotty just Bar- now.
0: There you go. So Scotty Barnes getting into the action here in Louisville at the KFC Yum Center. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's move on to a little bit of FSU, or actually, sorry, we can c- continue here with some FSU men's. They uh, stay out of the top 25 ranking going or into this week. They released a the, uh, new AP poll on Monday afternoons around noon, but uh, they are outside of that top 25, again, sitting at, I believe, 29, if you want to count the others receiving votes as uh, 26, 27, 28, 29, and so forth. But FSU sits right where they were last week after two impressive wins, I'd call it. But they do jump into 25 on the coaches poll. So coaches around the nation are taking note of what this, te- this team is doing. But are you, are you still concerned that they're not jumping into that AP?
1: I'm not too concerned. I do understand the uh, the hesitance to put them in the top 25 uh, leading into this week because obviously they were off. Uh, you don't know if that one performance against NC State, Well, I mean, obviously that's going to be an anomaly. You're not going to win by 32 against an ACC team every time you play them. But... Uh, we don't know if FSU is going to be able to maintain this little streak they have going on. If they can beat Louisville, who's one of the better teams in the ACC this year, then maybe they'll get some looks uh, to get into that top twenty-five again. But honestly, I'm not too shaken up over them not being in there this week.
0: Yeah, it's I yeah, like I agree with you there. They're, they they didn't play any games. They won two, of their good two good games this past week. But still, there are other teams that have maybe played a more impressive schedule and are moving around up and down. I mean, that Michi- did you see any bit of the Michigan game? I Mich- did not. Michigan got destroyed by, uh, was it Minnesota, in Minnesota, after putting up, go- I think beating Wisconsin by 40. So a lot of movers and shakers right now in college basketball. So there's going to be a lot going forward from here. But let's talk a little bit about FSU women's basketball, because they also came out of their COVID break, but, this is the other side of that coin where you have the men's team who came out uh, playing with their hair on fire. And then you got the women's team who comes out and plays a bit more flat. They lost their first game off of was a 17 day break or so. Mm -hmm. They lost 84 to 56 at Louisville, right where the men's team is currently playing their game right now, but they really had no answer. And this is a team that uh, won both their games against Louisville last season in ACC play. So Louisville getting some revenge there against the FSU women's team. But what have you been seeing out of this team right now? Maybe that is maybe not clicking that we saw out of this game.
1: Honestly, really just uh, the inconsistency for a number one option, because, I mean, you have the veterans, Morgan Jones, Valencia Myers, et cetera. uh, But Bianca Jackson led the team in points this time uh, with 21 points in the loss. Uh, 21 to 56 is a lot for a player that we don't really mention a whole ton on this show. But like most teams, you can count on one person to to kind of give you 15, 20 points a game. And so far, it's been really wishy-washy this season from what I can tell. And I mean, obviously, first game back with an eight-person rotation. Uh, obviously, some, some rust to get off, some fatigue to get over. And against the second-best team in the nation in Louisville, obviously, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. But I mean, just I, I would like to see some consistency moving forward.
0: Another problem that I, I that I really saw from this team in this game is the rebounding issue. Yes. I mean, this game was close early on. It was it was in the first quarter. It finished tied 17-7, but things really started to get ugly in the second quarter when uh, Louisville took a pretty significant lead going into half. But they really are just getting outclassed on the boards here. And it, Louisville had uh, two, three players combined for 20 rebounds. FSU didn't or it took a, FSU didn't have a single player over six rebounds yeah. total. So They
1: had 25 total. And, so, so those three almost matched the entire team.
0: And maybe the problem is for this team is that they only had eight players. I mean, we've seen other teams in the NBA and other leagues coming in with kind of depleted rosters, and maybe that's an issue. But it's tough to really get any boards when you're getting, I don't know, when, it's, when it seems like there's a huge disparity out there. And its points are going to come, second chance buckets are going to come after. So not, not a great look right now for the team
1: yeah and it's really not going to get any easier for them because they do play UNC or, uh, NC State rather uh who as uh, as far as Sunday uh they were ranked third in the country did they move up to second
0: number 2 now
1: number 2 now okay so they get to play the number 2 team once again for the uh the second time in 5 days they go
0: so. they went from the number 1 team Louisville to the number 2 team NC State so Lovely. really really fun stretch for this team here i this is a tough one to really take on so Maybe coming out of this really tough stretch, maybe they come out a little bit stronger and a little bit better for it because after that, they'll have uh, Clemson, then Boston College, then Georgia Tech. So maybe a little bit of an easier schedule coming around for this team. But still, it's going to be very, very tough.
1: Definitely, yeah. It's it's a murderer's row for these first two games. But once you get some players back in the rotation, you're not going to be playing with an eight-player rotation every night. I hope not. Uh, once these COVID issues do get to be a little more uh, solvable. And this is really just uh, an opportunity for them to regress or to uh, get closer to the mean because you're not going to be losing by 28 points every game you play, just like FSU men's is not going to be winning every game by 32 points. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just figure out what uh, you need to work on from these two games. Obviously, rebounding is a big issue. Getting consistency from your starters. Uh, All starters were in double figures in this game, but still just getting that consistency is going to be key. Uh, So use these two games as, as a learning experience if nothing else
0: exactly and we have another update on fsu men's basketball they're up 22 to 9 right now at the u12 timeout TV. did not
1: see that coming
0: i mean they are moving right now wide wilkes has six with those two three-pointers uh Raekwon evans has six with uh shooting two for three from beyond the arc uh Raquan gray is three points and then uh kopravitz has two and then what is it scotty Barnes has a three so this team starting to get the ball around, spreading it out. Not everyone's not really taking up a lot of space here. I mean, MJ Walker, I mean, three assists. Yeah, granted, no points, but still three assists. Really doing his job as a guard there. But this team looking impressive in uh, Kentucky right now. So I will keep you updated on that game if you so choose to stick along with us throughout the show because we'll have some more NFL talk coming around in just a moment. But we can talk a little bit about some baseball. I mean, FSU baseball is starting to come up here because they are, what is it? They announced the ACC schedule. They'll be opening up with Virginia at home. I believe it is the last week or so of uh, February. They're going to be taking on the Cavaliers down, up in, or down here in Tallahassee. So they actually opened up a bunch of the rankings recently for college baseball. And FSU sitting around a top 10 sitting around the 25th spot and majority of them, if not just slightly out of those rankings. I know D1 Baseball has them put at 24, and I think Perfect Game is somewhere in that same region. So this team's going to be in a good spot, in my opinion, heading into this year. they got a lot of uh, players returning. Granted, not all of them are really sticking around, but I do like the pitching that this team has going into this year. And this is something I feel like we haven't been able to say, that we like the pitching, especially some of these bullpen pitchers for this team.
1: Yeah, that was really the biggest issue in the uh, the abbreviated season last year. Uh, Just some of the bullpen arms, honestly, uh, not being able to close out games. So uh, I I honestly, I'm not going to front. I have not been paying a whole lot of attention to FSU baseball because their season has not yet gotten underway. Uh, But obviously you're a bit more tuned in, so I'm going to take your word as the gospel on this. (laughs) Um, If if you're more optimistic in their pitching, then I have all the more reason to be. And since that is one area that's uh, especially bullpen pitching, that they really needed some help in last season, uh, and and in seasons past, then it's going to be super good to see some new blood uh, inserted into this program and see some new guys sort of come come into their own.
0: Well, one of the guys that I really liked, and I, from last season, Parker Messick, freshman yeah. out of last year, really good stuff. I mean, came out of the bullpen, did a really good job, lefty out of uh, Plant City, Florida. But I mean, the kid was solid for this team last year. I think he had a, he actually won a, had a few accolades. He was. The summer he was a 2020 summer league all Florida League first team. So I mean, does well he did well in the summer season, which was nice because a lot of summer seasons actually did go on. So these guys were able to actually get some work, which is kind of unheard of because you usually anticipate most of these players being out and just kind of sitting around doing nothing. But thankfully, there were some leagues that were kind of up and running. I worked with the South Florida Collegiate Baseball League down in uh, my hometown. And we were actually able to get a full season underway. And we had actually did have a few FSU players uh, come into the league and play. So I was able to see Isaiah Perry, one of the FSU players. Nice. And I think I think Rutchdale was another one that was in town there. But uh, Perry looked really good, came in around midseason uh, playing for the Boca Raton Blazers and had a solid season. Maybe hit, we, So at the league that I was working for, we played at a uh, replica of Fenway Park. And so he hit one of the longest home runs and highest home runs of the season over uh, the, what is it, almost dead centered over the part of the monster that creeps into center field out there. So really hit high and hit far. So that's another aim name that you could see maybe to come off this bench. But Messick in his six games that he played last year, I'll get back to him, he has .77 ERA, only gave up nine hits in, what is that, 11 and two-thirds innings. So Really solid stuff from this kid, but he's going to be one of those big names to watch out for. Another guy that I really think this team needs to kind of focus on and or really has to figure it out this season, Elijah Cabell. Yes. He came out the gates really hot as a freshman. Then last year we started to see a little bit of that sophomore slump, a little bit of regression because his swing is just so tailored to a home run style swing that he is going to strike out a lot. And in the college game, I know the MLB is kind of leaning towards that where it's home runs and strikeouts, and it's just one of those two results. But Cabell, he's really got to start to level that swing out and find it.
1: Yeah, in Mike Martin Seniors last year, I remember being in one of those press conferences after a game and sort of asking him about the reliance on the home run because it was still an issue back then. They sort of, they sort of lived and died by it. Mm-hmm. There was no small ball really to be, to be seen until they got to the, to the College World Series, and that had to be an element of their game. But, I mean, this is something that we've been talking about with this team for a while now, and Elijah Cabell, honestly, like, it's exactly like you said. He has those games where he does get some of those lucky swings, and he goes off for a few hits and a home run, and he's lauded as the hero of the game, but more often than not, he is just swinging aggressively, looking for the home run, not really looking for whatever kind of contact he can get, and that's that's definitely going to be key to making FSU a contender, especially considering his experience, because you would sort of expect some of the younger guys to do that, try and show out in their first couple of games as an FSU uh, Seminole. But that's not really something that you would expect from a guy, a veteran like Elijah Cabell this season.
0: So he played 17 games last season. In those 17 games, he had 32 strikeouts. Yeah. And compared to his freshman season, he played 58 games, 88 strikeouts. That's a bit more of a reasonable number there, 80, 50 to, 58 to 88. But 17 to 32, that's nearly double. You're just under that doubling mark there. So that's something to keep an eye on for this season for FSU baseball. But there's, I think this team's going to be pretty solid. I think 24 is a bit too uh, far back for them to be sitting right now, but ultimately fair. They did end off their season though, with that big win at Florida. So that was a huge way to kind of end off that season. And actually that was the last game at Florida, uh, McKeithen stadium up there because Gators are now going to be moving into a new park for the uh, 2021 season. So, that was a nice way to end off for FSU sure. season in uh, Gainesville or in their time in that stadium in Gainesville. But anything else on this FSU baseball team that you noticed or
1: got to go for? <laughs> Nothing really from me. You, you're, you're kind of setting me up here because I know I I don't really, I'm not too tuned into this team quite yet. Obviously once February, March come around, then that is going to be at the forefront of FSU athletics with basketball. Obviously we don't know how that season's going to go, but I will be a bit more in tune then, and I'll be excited to talk about the team because we we think they're going to go places
0: yeah i or yeah, at least I think they're going to be going some places, yeah. so I mean, I just brought it up because I know we ran through the basketball stuff kind of quickly, and yeah. then we uh had to find something else, and I noticed a lot of the rankings were starting to flow in for this pre for the twenty twenty one season and f s u is hanging around in there, so figured we'd get some baseball talking, I know we'll be coming in with some more baseball we'll coming in with more uh Softball talk, and then obviously the rest as it comes about. I know FSU men's golf. Shout out to them; they're having a they're having their first tournament of the season. I think Camp Creek over around Panama City, the west uh, side of the state. Here, I think they finished third in their tournament that they were hosting out there. Wake Forest took it, and then followed by Clemson. So, decent outing for the uh, guys out there. But still, I think this that team also. I think that team has a lot more potential because I mean John Pack, the number one player in the PGA Tour U rankings. And they got a few other guys there. Cole Anderson's another solid golfer that's going to have a pretty darn good career. I mean, Florida State—they are a golf school as well. If you forgot that,
1: but yeah, they're they're certainly not an FS or a, a football school anymore. They are sort of an everything except football school. We've seen excellence in pretty much any of the major sports: track and field, tennis, uh, getting underway this week. Uh, obviously, golf, like you said, baseball. So it's it's an exciting time to be at FSU, honestly.
0: Yeah, and there's it's an ex- exciting time to just be a sports fan in general. Yes. I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, just today we can talk about some other college news as we kind of uh, wrap up this first half here. Tennessee decides to fire and part way or part way. Sorry, they fired Pruitt. I, yeah. I'm not going to beat around the bush. They didn't part ways. They fired him. I mean, Pruitt was not too good for the Vols out there, but. It I guess that's the right move. I mean they're really cutting ties quick and they're moving on fast. So maybe it's Hugh Freeze time up at Rocky Top. Who knows?
1: I have no idea what that team is gonna do. They've been in free fall really ever since I started watching football, since like the early twenty tens. So since I mean Peyton Manning left. <laughs> yep. That's that's honestly that it's, true. It's Knoxville local radio sports
2: season that's what it is the,
0: i mean yeah tune into them too the, sooner or later i mean like maybe they're they got their student radio uh starting up their shows this time of year i mean i can't i think i might actually go find their the local ut station
2: like wutn maybe i don't know something like
0: that we'll we'll find them and then i'll try and give them a listen to see what they're talking about uh maybe on my morning drive to work but yeah we'll figure that one out but Tennessee, they're going to be in a rough spot. I think they should be parting ways with Philip Fulmer anytime soon when it comes to that uh, relationship they have there.
1: Uh, I just got a text from my dad. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go for it. Just some more more content, actually. Uh, Terry Bowden, the son of FSU legend Bobby Bowden, he got a job as the head coach at... uh, the university of louisiana monroe for their football program okay. so that's my dad's alma mater that's why he wanted me to, to mention it on here so shout out to him shout out to ulm and obviously to the bowden family for getting another uh, head coaching hire over there
0: yeah some bowden news there we haven't had that in a
2: while but right. uh
1: i just looked it up and i think it seems to be wutk,
2: W-U-T-K uh, the volunteer
0: Okay, all right. have to give them a listen to see if they got any... The Rock, uh,
2: sorry. The Rock Volunteer Radio.
0: Okay. have to give them a listen to see what they got for their their Jeremy Pruitt stuff. Because, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt, I mean, that's even prudent news to us here at Florida State because he was a former uh, Seminoles head coach, or not head coach, sorry, defensive coordinator for this program. So uh, he's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands, but... I think that's all we got for this first half of news because I mean we really touched it all. I mean we got FSU men's and women's basketball, baseball, some Jeremy Pruitt talk, which we don't, which since Clint Island has left this pro left the station here, we haven't had too much uh, Tennessee talk and rightfully so. So I think that's all we got for this first half of Tomahawk talk. You were listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
2: I'm going play as
0: back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee the voice of Florida State I'm your host Gary Putnick as always I'm joined by Austin Reynolds and Sebastian Angel and for the first time in a while we're joined by one of our anchors Gabe Tisness, our resident our now resident Saints fan because we've had a few of our other Saints fans graduate and uh, move on to bigger and better things but you take over now what they left off at and that means you have to take over for the 2020, uh, one It's twenty 2020, twenty to twenty twenty one Saints Eulogy, and so I'll let you have the floor now.
3: Uh, so I guess this is the legacy that I've been assigned. But yep. uh, man, it's it's really tragic. Uh, four years in a row. Just um, <laughs> uh, I know everyone's like ready to hate on me, but I don't really care. I'm just. I'm just really thankful for the last four years and even the last 15 years of the Sean Payne and Drew Briggs era. Uh, it's it's the era that got me invested in sports and, and football. And I, I'm just so thankful because I, I have so many memories that I can recall that bring me so much joy. And uh, I don't want to get too deep or anything. But, yeah, I mean, uh, the, it didn't really pan out as I expected it or as I wished. But it is what it is. It's sports. And, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would trade what we had the last four years or even the last 15 years uh, for what their franchises franchises have had. So just – something to think about
0: <laughs> yeah because if was if the dolphins decided to get drew Brees, that means it would have been the sabin breeze era in miami for a, maybe maybe this long who knows but i
3: that's, that's a great question what would happen to the nfl if that happened what would, have, what would happen to college football
0: instead i get dante culpepper i get i get all like yeah it's the whole sliding doors butterfly effect but instead i get stuck with chad watching former dolphin chad Henney play in the wild in the divisional round instead of uh, my real my current team dolphins with two and all the boys. But let's move on from that. We can we'll get into the actual nitty gritty about that Saints Bucks <laughs> games in just a moment here, but let's lead off with the other games around the league there. We'll start with the first one of the weekend, the Packers over the Rams, thirty two eighteen. Packers move on to the championship game as the one seed. Sebastian, we
2: gotta shout out our boy Cam Akers. Yeah you know, one it. of the yes, one sir. of the few bright spots at our time here at Florida State. Of just a true, like bona fide stud. Very um, true. Very true. You he know, had- him him balling out at pretty much every level of the NFL. You know, kind of that rookie that only got a few snaps in the the beginning of the season, and they began to trust him, and they gave him more and more responsibility, and he stepped up every single step of the way. And he stepped up in this game, too.
0: He did. He looked like the one competent part of this Rams offense because they really couldn't get anything going. Granted, they didn't have Cooper Cup as well, so you kind of lose one of uh, your— you lose your second-best receiver, and so that really can handcuff— you at times, especially when you have uh, the ultimate handcuffs, Jared Goff, as your quarterback for this <laughs> oh, game. On. So that,
2: <laughs> that team was, you, you, like, the L.A. Rams, sure, were, were, weren't on the same level as the Packers, and I don't think they have been at any point in the season. But that team, you have to admit, was worn down to the bone. Uh, they were. The last three-game three stretch that they've had was a siege, you know. Uh, Seattle is never an easy team to play against, um, regardless of how good your defense is. Um, you have to be on it all the time, and they were. Um, you know, the Rams just, you know, Goff has an injury. Cooper Cup is out. Uh, Donald is only at, like, what, 50%? Mm-hmm. At Donald
0: didn't, he felt like he had no presence in that game, and he wasn't even on the field a really lot of didn't the time. Only that had was
2: game. what, like an unsportsmanlike conduct call, and that was kind of yeah. He kind had of his highlight of the game? Yeah,
0: even, yeah. And so the one thing that I was looking forward to at this one was uh, Jalen Ramsey against Devontae Adams. I was looking up forward to that matchup, and. Gabe, what did you see out of that matchup this weekend between the two?
3: I was really excited to watch it as well. Um, you know, Jalen Ramsey, former FSU baller. Um, I I don't know. It was interesting because he or Jalen is accustomed to being matched up with very physical receivers, receivers like DK Metcalf. Devonte is a probably the best route runner in the NFL right now. So I, I think Devonte had the better of the matchup and. I mean, I don't know if he necessarily beat him that much, but he definitely, you know, he caught that important touchdown to start off the game, and you know, Jalen. I don't know. It, it, it felt like Dion against uh, Jay Rice, but I don't know. I don't think it was necessarily as, as important for the Packers as we thought it would be going into the game.
1: Yeah, it felt like Matt LaFleur definitely made an effort to not put Devontae Adams on Jalen Ramsey, at least from what I saw. I think they only matched up together, like, on four plays. Uh, and the one the one touchdown pass that Devontae Adams caught, the one-yard or two-yard one uh, at the goal line, uh, that, you saw Jalen Ramsey sort of closing in on, on Adams near the play, but he wasn't even uh, Devontae Adams' man. It was, like, 33. I forget his name, but uh, he was dropping back into coverage, made the wrong read, and had to readjust a second time. So... Uh, it may have looked like uh, Jalen yeah. Ramsey got burnt that one time, but they really, really were never ball, matched yeah. up, honestly.
0: Yeah, and that the whole time with Aaron Rodgers in this game, he did a great job of just going for the under routes because that's yeah. all they kept playing, and, this, and the Rams never were going to start biting down and playing forward because they were afraid of getting beat deep by Adams or another player of that caliber. So great job by the Packers there on reading all that stuff. And so they did it. They did a good job, they handled their business, and they're on to the next round to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but first, we have the second game from that Saturday matchup, and that is the Bills against the Ravens. The Bills take down Baltimore 17-3, and the Bills are on to the AFC title game for the first time since 1993. It's been a long time for them, and my dad certainly knows the extent of all that uh, that comes with being a Bills fan, but hey, they held up in the one of the, probably one of the worst weather games that we've seen. It was reminiscent of a lot of what the Browns have had this year for their home games. Ohio, but
2: it felt like Ohio Lake Erie weather. Oh yeah, exactly yeah, definitely yep. Lake Erie yep. weather.
0: That's exactly the lake effect wind. All that fun stuff was coming into play in Orchard Park. But Josh Allen didn't he? He had a good game. I mean, two hundred six yards, a touchdown. I mean, nothing special. But like he did what he had to do to win this game. So credit to them. They really. I mean, it feels like I don't know. It felt like a weird offensive game. I don't know, just kind of a snooze fest for me.
1: It was super strange because the the Bills play selection in particular in the first half, I think they ran one play, uh, one run play, actually. And that is about the opposite of what you would expect from uh, a game where the weather was as bad as this. Obviously, there was no rain. There was no snow. There was no real inclement weather. It's just the wind was messing everybody up. Even the, one of the most accurate kickers, if not the most accurate in NFL history, Justin Tucker, he missed two gimmies, <laughs> doinked him off the post, so... I would have expected a lot more focus on the run from the Bills, even though the, their passing game is so lethal. Uh, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen have been wrecking face the entire season, and this was d- despite the circumstances. This was really no different. Um, it, just a little toned down, obviously because of the weather. So uh, strange to see no uh, no running game from them, at least in the first half. But they came out in the second half, corrected that, led a more balanced offense, and were able to put up 14 in the second quarter or the third quarter.
2: So this game for me was
1: was kind of a
2: sorry game. Just one moment. Um, This game for me was kind of like a a staring contest or like a game of chicken, and who Mm -hmm. would blink first. Um, If we're gonna talk about the weather, um, the NBC broadcast made sure to show the flags as often as they could, both the field goal flags and just the flags around Bill Stadium. Uh, What what surprised me is that the wind was never consistent in one direction. It was pretty consistent in the first half um, of blowing in a in a certain direction, and if you were you were playing into the wind or um, you know, your passes would be short. And uh, Josh Allen, especially uh, when he was playing with his back to the wind, would throw the ball you know two or three yards uh, over his receivers. And that wasn't really his fault. You could very clearly tell that the wind was playing a huge factor in this game and forcing uh, teams to really fight to get downfield. Um, now we're gonna talk about, I saw Gary uh, just a moment ago do kind of like a swirling motion with his fingers. And that's really um, what affected the kickers this game. Which was, um, you know, the wind was never after that first half. The wind wasn't really consistent. You know, you had a—I um, uh, don't remember the name of the uh, the Baltimore punter, but the um, he had what most would call like a stinker, where the where the ball only went like twenty-something yards, mm-hmm. uh, punted from his own twenty, uh, and the ball lands somewhere between the the fifty and the Baltimore forty. Um, I think you could pin that one on the wind too. Maybe it was a shank. I couldn't really tell, um, but that that wind was was pretty merciless. So that's maybe what six, So two it's, missed kicks by Tucker. It was one both, missed kick by uh,
0: ba- Okay, so Bass and Tyler, or Bass and Tucker, were both one for three for yep. field goals. So they yeah. made a combined two field goals and missed. Uh, a total four.
2: twelve points on the board. Like that's that's twelve that's points a lot. missing from this game.
0: But still, I don't think that I don't know how much of a difference it would have made because of Lamar Jackson's pick at the end and yeah. uh, and Gabe, I don't know what you saw there from that game from that instance there, but that obviously that was the game for this for the bills yeah,
3: no it, the whole weekend didn't really live up to the games that we were expecting, and this was definitely the worst one in my opinion, and I think it's entirely because of the weather. We saw two teams that were completely buying into their philosophies. And it was interesting because I don't know if that was entirely because of the weather or was that just the original game plan no matter what. We saw the Ravens come out and literally run the ball every single time. And then we saw the Bills throw it every single time. And I understand it because, you know, you're, you're giving the ball to your best player, either Lamar or Josh Allen. And, you know, Josh Allen, <laughs> it was so funny. It was like his rookie year whenever he was throwing the deep ball. The, the wind was, was not helping him one bit. And the Bills came out ready to, to stop the run. It was very impressive, to say the least. Leslie Frazier, I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind, that game is probably going to get him a head coaching job in the next year or two. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was kind of disappointed in the Ravens. I was kind of rooting for them because uh, I don't like that playoff narrative that they got going on. But, I mean, credit to the Bills. Um, I'm happy for them because they also have suffered a lot of heartbreak in recent years. and. Um, I think the Bills are a be- are the better matchup for Kansas City, so hopefully there there will be another good AFC Championship game down the line. Oh,
0: Gabe, I think you like the Ravens because you see a lot of the Saints in the Ravens because okay, they because okay, okay, they Gary. can't win play they they really can't win too many playoff games. I mean, they got good players and good coaches. They got the tools. They have what they should need to win games, but they just can't get over the hump. I mean, am I am I wrong there? Is that else is so? wrong, guys? No,
3: I don't know. I think it's because of the the difference between Lamar in the regular season and Lamar in the playoffs, and I think it's because of like how teams are able to better. Uh, game plan for him as the season goes on. And the Saints are just, you know, the first two years it was completely the god, the playoff god, or the football gods. They were just against us for no reason. Uh, the next yeah. two years we lost fair and square, so I'm not getting in. we, we We're going to get into that, actually. <laughs> well,
1: uh, yeah, we'll yes. get there. We'll get there, but Austin? Awesome. Yeah, I, I just had one comment to say. Uh, it's sort of poetic how the way the Ravens beat the Titans last week is how the Bills ended up beating the Ravens, just playing sound defense against a team that you know is going to want to run the ball a lot more often than other teams. This is a passing league, but with Derrick Henry for the Titans, a 2,000-yard rusher, he was shut down very effectively, very great defensive game plan. So the Bills just kind of copied that performance. They said, hey, if your second-best rusher, heck, maybe even your first-best rusher, uh, behind Mark Andrews or uh, is Lamar Jackson, uh, then we need to tailor our defensive game plan to limit him, because we know it's going to be awful weather here. Uh, we're perfectly content to throw the ball, but we are going to be limiting your running quarterback as much as possible, and that's what came through. So great stuff from the Bills.
0: Yeah, that was the huge difference maker there. But Sebastian, last thing on the this game.
2: Uh, well, I, I think you're you're kind of selling Lamar Jackson short. Uh, this game, I, th- I think he played extremely well. It's just one critical mistake that became a fourteen-point swing, and that's really what they did. True. It. Yeah. Um, it. That's why I kind of called it like a, a game of chicken, because that's when they blinked. And that pick six was tied for the longest pick six in the history of the uh, in the postseason. Uh, and what a what a run it was! It was it was deaf far and away, like you said, kind of the most exciting play of the of the, um, of the game. It uh, wasn't a terribly, like, you know, it wasn't a thriller in the traditional sense, you know, where there's tension. It was just, like, who is going to break first? It just so happened to be Baltimore this time around.
0: Yeah, and it very well could have been Buffalo, too, because, I mean, we've, because Josh Allen, I mean, granted he hasn't really done it this year, but uh, red zone picks, they can happen. I mean, yeah. it can happen at best. I mean, yeah. you saw Lamar Jackson just but like that tonight, that it, night. It,
2: it took, like, I, I don't know, because I, I think that was, a, that literally was a freak anomaly. Lamar has been flawless, Actually flawless this entire season in the uh, in the red zone, and the one moment of fallibility was the one that ended their postseason run. That's kind of it. That's that's it.
0: Yeah, and there was yeah that game. That game was a fun one to watch. I know it was a little bit of a snooze fest, but like at the end, it did get pretty interesting there. But we did have some other games throughout this uh, weekend here, and the one a f another a fun one, probably I'd say maybe the best game play wise of the weekend. I mean I don't know if we're gonna say the Saints Bucks one, but This game was a lot of fun, at least for me, because Chad Henney, my boy, my Uh my boy from back in 2009 when the Dolphins had some promise, maybe when they had Ronnie Brown and uh, was I think Terrell Owens was there for a bit, too. And then Ted Ginn. So, I mean, that team was looking pretty good. And then they flop. And so Chad Henney is now a journeyman and then takes up a spot in Jacksonville, then is now the backup in KC. He comes in due to a hit on Lamar Jackson where he's, he's, is he (laughs) concussed? Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, I'm concussed. (laughs) Clearly I'm the one concussed here, but still. Uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes goes out of the game. Is he actually concussed? Because there was something that said after the game that he's not concussed, but he just got hit in the head which sounds like a concussion to me, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there was any official word on it. It didn't look like he got hit directly in the head, but he was in concussion protocol. So it's a a weird situation there. I, Just from my medical experience, which is none, I would say he is concussed mm-hmm. because he looked very, very woozy, he disoriented getting up. up. Yeah, he struggled he to, stand to stand up, up, up. after. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that it, kind of an indication there. But still, he comes out of the game in that third quarter, and they don't score at yeah. all for the rest of the way through. And Chad Henney has to come in and try and put this Band-Aid over this team and do something to not give up this lead here. And he throws a pick. So, I mean, he really, they gave the Browns every single chance to win this game, but Cleveland just could not get over that hump there.
2: I mean, what, what worries, if you're, if you're a fan in Missouri right now and you're wondering, like, okay, Where we go from here? Um, Obviously, you've got like a a, a pretty strong team going on here. But where is the? For me, it's like where's the switch? Because we've been told like, oh man, like the Chiefs gotta just turn on that switch and they're good to go. They can win the Super Bowl if they just turn on that switch. I'm not seeing the switch yet. I'm seeing that they're they're like, you know, they're almost like that jogging pace. You know, they're coming along. They're probably gonna get to the finish line first. But if someone just breaks out in a sprint past them. They'll they'll be spun around and won't know what hit them.
0: And it could very well be Buffalo, and yep. we'll get to our predictions for the Super Bowl yep. or for who's going to be in the Super Bowl in just a moment. But yeah, you're right with that. The Chiefs have played good football this season, but they've started to like slip a little bit here and there. I mean, granted, By no they,
2: means infallible.
0: Yeah, no exactly. Infallible. And it's like they had that bad game against the Falcons. Obviously, yep. Mahomes and everyone else wasn't playing, but still, I mean, as a team, as a cohesive unit, they should be playing pretty well at that point in the year. I mean, Gabe do the Chiefs have the giddy-up-and-go to get them through the rest of the way?
3: I mean, it really all all comes down to Mahomes. If he can't play, then it's going to be really hard for them to to beat the Bills on Sunday. I think that's when they're playing. And, uh, I mean, even if he plays, it's going to be a little hard because he's not going to be 100%. We know that for sure. Um, I think this is a really good team, but I think we've seen enough evidence that they're not clicking on all cylinders like they were last year. And... I'm a big believer in Mahomes and Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill. Like, their their whole offense is just amazing. So I think they have enough as it stands right now to eclipse the Bills and, and go all the way. But it's going to be a lot more interesting than what we assumed, say, like week 15. Um, so I guess that creates a little bit more tension for us fans. But I'm not counting them out by any means.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really hard to get a read on it because, like you said, Mahomes really is what makes or breaks this team against the, against the team as lethal as the Bills. But uh, it hasn't been since the middle of the season, I want to say like week 7, week 8, week 9 maybe, that Kansas City has beaten the team by more than 10 points. So they're winning a lot of one-score games. They're playing not great football. This is not the same 2019-20 Chiefs that if they weren't blowing people out, they were surrendering leads and then blowing people out uh they're having to find new ways to win when they aren't playing great and this is really not a great recipe for success for them uh despite all the other offensive weapons they have the great offensive mind of Andy Reid a defense that is much improved from the early days of this season even but more so early in 2019 uh their defense is a lot more stout but I mean if if Mahomes if your half a billion dollar guy is out for this all-important game then that's just going to spell disaster, I think. I, I, I cannot pick the Chiefs in good faith if Chad Henney is going to be on the center.
0: <laughs> hey, Chad Henney, revenge game against Buffalo? I mean, he played. he's played more games against Buffalo than Patrick Mahomes has probably in his career. So yeah. <laughs> you got that to lean on. But the thing I really have a problem with with this Chiefs team is their rushing situation. They, they don't have the rocks that they had last year. They could go to playoff Damien and the boys <laughs> back there in the backfield. They had six guys have at least a one carry yesterday. And so when you're throwing the ball, Darrell Williams, Patrick Mahomes, Chad Henney, Tyreek Hill, Le'Veon Bell, and Mecole Hardman as rushers, you are showing that you don't have a really one person you can go to every single time and say, hey, this is our guy and we trust him because we all thought that was going to be Le'Veon Bell. We thought Le'Veon Bell was going to come in there and make a difference in this running game because Damien is not playing this season. And so he really hasn't. He had two carries for six yards Daryl Williams was their leading rusher with 78 off 13 carries, but still, it's tough when they don't really have a consistent person to go to in that backfield.
1: I agree, and I mean, obviously, some of these plays, like the the reverses or the end-arounds to Nicole and Tyreek Hill, like those are sort of one-off plays. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're not going to be relying on those traditional oh, exactly. wide receivers to sort of carry the load, but it is sort of concerning when you bring in Le'Veon Bell, who Despite not being in his prime, I wouldn't say anymore. He is still a very revered running back. He was brought in to shore up that situation, and he just really hasn't done it. Uh, was was Clyde Edwards a out for this game? Because, I mean, obviously, yes. obviously, obviously no care. Yes, he so, was.
0: He okay. was out for that game. So it hurts when you don't, like, and maybe he's out next week. We maybe. don't know right now because we're still, in, where it's only Monday, and we got uh, six more days to go. But still, it's tough if you don't have a guy in that backfield, especially against Buffalo. Yeah. So it's, I think. I, Buffalo has the advantage right now in my opinion just off health solely off that reason. So I think we I think we've reached the time in the show where we've been huh. teasing we've been teasing <laughs> it all show long. I think we've done it like four times now. The uh the fight to end all fights Tampa Bay, New Orleans. New Orleans falls at the hands of terrific Tom Brady.
1: The Battle of the Geriatrics. Yes,
0: the, yeah. Surprise was it? I think it was the Boomer Bowl. It was, was four. <laughs> so the age of the quarterbacks left as of Sunday. Aaron Rodgers, thirty-seven. Tom Brady, four, 42 or forty-three. Forty-three. And then uh, Drew Brees, forty-two. And right. then the guys in the AFC, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-five. Yeah. So the young guys against the old guys, and this battle of the old heads. The old had wins, so take a guess at who that was, but it was Tom Brady, sadly, for my sake. I just don't like Tom Brady. That's my one gripe. I'm, I have nothing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an organization. It's just Tom Brady. It's nothing against that hat that Sebastian wears. It's against number 12. <laughs> but I'll, I digress. Tampa Bay came in. They won that game 30-20. to 20. They took down the Saints in New Orleans. I, we said this last week. It's tough to beat a th- team three times in the NFL. Sebastian or was it Austin? I both picked Tampa to win, and as we cut off our mic, Sebastian's going. Sebastian's yelling, "Why?" in the uh, room next to us.
2: They, they really did me dirty last week. You, you thought would not believe? I was, you know, Tampa, Tampa, um, Epstein. As soon as the mics cut, I was like, "Come on, man! Why would you do that to me?"
1: Hey,
0: and we knew what we knew what was going to happen, man. We yeah. know it's tough to do that in the NFL. So hey, we trusted Tom, and that's what happened. So. Tom Brady got the win, but specifically, let's talk about the other quarterback right now. Drew Brees was how many interceptions did he have? Gabe, three. three. Oh, Gabe. Ooh, three. Three. Okay, yeah. so what? Give me your analysis on uh, his last game.
3: Well, I don't think. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> this is kind of cruel. Tell okay. So I, tell me why Jameis Winston should have say. been brought in.
3: I mean, it's just it's tough. Um, it's not the way that he should have gone out. That's that's. The only thing I can really say with Senency. I think some of the interceptions were not necessarily entirely, entirely his fault, but they were just not the best decisions. And we can definitely saw we definitely saw the limitations in this game um, with it with his noodle arm as people say. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, man, I think the running game was was entirely shut down, which which made it a lot more predict predictable. And Michael Thomas just didn't show up. So
1: Literally did not show yes. up. I, was he even, I, did he even suit really up for this game? can't
3: blame him that, in, that much as people want me to.
1: Can't guard Mike, can't see Mike. Yeah I, can't, yeah.
0: yeah, I didn't know where he was this game. But, I mean, Jameis Winston, he was brought in for one play. We saw him in, line up in the wide receiver position. Alvin Kamara takes a snap out of the Wildcat. And once I saw Winston in the wide receiver on the wide out spot, I was like, oh, shoot, here we go. They're just going to run the ball. They're just trying to mess with us. It's Taysom Hill kind of stuff here. <laughs> and then they flip it once, flip it twice back to Winston. He goes over the top for 56 yards and a touchdown. That was I mean that's the best moment of the game here. I yeah. I love that. But do you think they should have done what kind of the Dolphins have done in days in games past where they could go to the other guy to step up and maybe take this game? Cuz this game was still in reach. I mean, the Bucs got or was the Bucs got 21 points off three off those four turnovers.
3: I don't know, man. I think you, you have to, to ride or die with your with your man, Drew Brees. He's on you to the promise land before. And, I mean, you have to give him the chance. If you brought him in at the start of the year, he would have to play like Payne Manning in 2015 for me to bench him. Um, and, and, you know, Jameis, he's, he's shown promise in the past, but he's not always that reliable. So to throw him in the fire uh, in the middle of the divisional game against Tampa, that would have been a little risky. And I think – this is more 2020 hi- hindsight of anything. I mean, it was a close game going into the fourth quarter, and if I forgot his, the the Tampa receiver that caught the third and eleven ball, if he drops that ball, New Orleans gets the ball, it's and I think at, at that point it was just whoever scored first, and Tampa scored first, and then we didn't score again, and the game just tightened up. So I don't think it's it's, it's as bad as people are making it out to be.
2: Yeah, Gabe's right. Like you, like just just the optics of it, like. What are you going to do, not let Bree, uh, Drew Brees kind of, you know, settle things on his own and try to uh, try to end things on his own terms? No. Like, um, they they like Sean Payton a lot in NOLA. I don't think they would have forgiven him for that. Yeah. Um, a lot of things. You can say a lot of things about the Saints and Brees, but, like, one thing you cannot deny is the impact that he's had on that city, um, that region, honestly, um, just as kind of like a beacon for, you know, there, there, there are many things that uh, Louisiana has experienced since 2006, uh, but one bright spot has always been consistent laser breeze and his performances on and off the field. Um, honestly, uh, you just saw it, it. It was kind of like that twilight game, um, shades of Dan Marino, I suppose. I wasn't alive for that game. I think I don't remember that game honestly, but. Um, Braze like has that mind. You know, he's he's got the head on for for football. He still is very, very smart. And the and the reason why he's here right now, or the reason why he was on that field yesterday, is because he's smart enough to know exactly what he needs to do in order to um in order to get to that point and continue to leave the team to the playoffs. I think the, the mind is willing, but the body is weak. Exactly. his arm is just not there. anymore. his body's not there he, anymore. He,
0: in his head, he was try, he could see those passes that he has mm-hmm. made throughout his career. And the one that sticks out, I think it was that last interception where I think it was to Devin, was it uh Bush? It Devin White. Oh, white. Devin okay. White. Devin White picked it off and the receiver just kept going. And you yeah. thought, okay, Drew's going to put this over the top and it's going to land right in his hands as what Drew Brees probably assumed. But his arm just didn't go the way yeah, that no, it, it was supposed and picked, to, yeah. and so that's I think that's what we saw a lot out of that night. And but, and it's crazy when you look at it because you have the two comparisons between him and Tom Brady, and Tom Brady still is chugging along. And yeah. Sebastian, I'll let you handle but, all the Tom talk. Uh,
2: I'm gonna get to Tom in one second, but I do I like I think it's not just um, I think it's not just like Breeze's shortcomings. I think it's um, Todd Bowles and the in uh, the sample book defense finally finally clicking and getting it. It's like, okay, man-to-man works against this guy. The, um, not, none of those three picks would have worked uh, with zone. They all worked with man-to-man. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting's big, big pick in the first half um, by intercepting a pass to Michael Thomas is really what was kind of like, okay, this works. We haven't done this in the past two games. This is going to work. Um, and that was kind of where I let myself go, okay, maybe. Um... That defense figured uh, Breeze out. Uh, Tom Tom still got that power. Uh, Tom, uh, you know, is is an old dog that still knows his tricks because um, you saw throws to to Gronk. You saw throw one throw in particular seconds before the end of the first half uh, to uh, Chris Godwin in the end zone. Chris uh, Godwin couldn't hold on. He he struggled with uh, you know holding on in the pre, in the postseason. It's fine. I'm not really worried about that personally. Um, that would have been a uh, pretty big going into the half, you know, with a what would have been like a four point lead or something like that, mm-hmm. um, going to the half. But you know, like he's still got that power, but but uh, but Drew definitely doesn't.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I have I have one question for Gabe actually, uh, because um, I saw someone on Twitter last night, a Saints fan, say that. When the when the most explosive play uh, of that game for the Saints came from Jameis Winston on a sort of a trick play, that's when they knew the game was over. Uh, are you in the same boat? Did you think, oh, if, if we stick with Drew Brees, who's throwing picks left and right, uh, throwing balls at guys' feet, uh, if we stick with him, then it's just going to be, it's going to go south fast? Or were you optimistic the whole way through?
3: Like I said, ride or die with your man. Yeah. Uh, I, I I never even thought about, getting Jameis in the game. Um, I mean, the play was just a, a design play. Like, if Drew had the arm, he could have made that, that throw, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. so that's why Jameis came in. It's basically the same uh, explosive play we saw against Minnesota last year when, when Taysom came in, right. and that was basically our best play the whole game. Um, I I mean, I don't I, <laughs> I can't sit here and say, oh, I wish Drew didn't play. No, I, I don't want to see him go out. That would have been – I'd rather see Drew, lo- or Drew lose on the field then Jameis potentially give us a better chance and, and win and then lose next game because we can't decide which quarterback we're going to go with Because if you have two quarterbacks, then you have none. Yeah, um,
1: I, I, I would never suggest benching Drew Brees. I was just saying, like, if, if what you've seen from Drew Brees is what you've seen from Drew Brees, and then Jameis comes in and has that one magnific- magnificent play, or did you just kind of, like, resign yourself to the fact that, yeah, Jameis is not coming in, so therefore we are going to lose this game?
3: No, okay. no. I, I thought we had a chance. Gotcha. Up until, up until the, the interception after the field goal, that's when I started to panic. I see. And and yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is.
0: <laughs> I got one last question here before we get to our predictions, because we are bumping up right against the eight o'clock hour here. Gabe, what next for this team? Where do they go
1: from here?
3: That is a fascinating question. Everyone thinks that the Saints are done and that they're going to become a top five draft pick team. And that might be the case, but I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. Obviously, salary cap will be an issue, but I think the front office is smart enough to figure it out. A lot of players will be coming back. I know a lot of them will be going out, but, um, yeah, I mean, we have Jameis hopefully coming back. Champagne is hopefully going to stick around, and, I mean, it's a good nucleus. The team is still relatively young. And so, I mean, it's just an, an interesting to, to think about the future because it's always been Drew Brees and Champagne for the last 15 years. But for the first time, we're looking at a new cycle of of, of, of just entirely new players. So, I'm just excited for whatever's to come because I'm not gonna bandwagon some other team. I've, I'm way too invested in the Saints. I, I love them to death. So, I don't know.
2: I think Austin. I
3: think it's okay if we if we don't really do anything for the next two years. But I think at some point during the next five years we'll we'll be able to come back and make a run. I
2: don't know, Austin. Like a uh, Saints tanking team? Like uh, <laughs> bottom five like perennial like uh draft pick competitors. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Who says no? Yeah, I no, I am completely on over board the cap with that. like um, you're gonna have to do some more black magic if you wanna get at least most of those guys back, which I seriously doubt. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to be like a stripped-down rebuild and work from zero, but I think it's going to be a while. I'm worried about that power vacuum in the South because, honestly, um, I don't know how sustainable uh, the current Tampa system is. Um, I think I think there are key positions for the Buccaneers that are just unsustainable, like, four years out. I'm not going to worry yeah. about that because three years is a is a window in the NFL. So I'm not going to worry about that. But in terms of just kind of... Before these these New Orleans Saints come back, um, that power vacuum, I don't really know what's the situation in Atlanta. Um, I think it's a, you, you tell me. I have no clue. It might be a little better in in Carolina just because they have certain offensive components, and if they can get a quarterback, then maybe they they've got something to work with there, where that's like a wild card wild card team. But um, the future is really bright in the nfc south because it's wide open that's know. why
0: because no one because like in the end if you look at the nfc the afc east the dolphin it's gonna be i think it's gonna be the dolphins and the bills duking it out for that division in a few years i mean it's gonna be tough there but that the south there like you're saying because breeze is gone now then tom's gonna be gone in a couple of years and then it the falcons he says matt ryan's, so gone matt, matt ryan's 35 matt that's ryan's gonna be gone too sooner or later and then the uh The Panthers are still trying to figure it out. So we got a lot to go for there and look into that division. But that's going to be a long time down the road. But we're right up at the end of the show. Let's get to the predictions for who will be in the Super Bowl in the coming weeks. We have the two games this week are the uh, Buccaneers and the Packers in Green Bay. And then we have the Bills and Chiefs in Kansas City. Austin,
1: who do you like? Well, I like Green Bay in the NFC. And like I said earlier, my pick in the AFC hinges pretty much entirely on whether Mahomes plays. Uh, I have no idea the severity of his injury, his concussion. I'm going to go ahead and call it a concussion because that's apparent. It's pretty apparent what it was. Um, I I like Mahomes a lot. I would like for him to play. I would like for him to sort of have the comeback story, lead his team to the Super Bowl. So... I'm going with the Chiefs.
0: The the favorite gets his comeback story. What a, wow, no, that's, like, a, that's like, a surprise. Come, come, come <laughs> coming back from injury.
1: Not, <laughs> I'm not saying he's an underdog. No, I get you.
0: Yeah, I get what you. Mean uh, Gabe, what do you got?
1: Yeah,
3: I entirely agree with um, Austin on the on the Chiefs side of things. If, if Mahomes doesn't play, it's probably going to be the Bills. But uh, when it comes to Tampa and Green Bay, man, is this going to be an interesting matchup. I mean, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady doesn't really get better than that. I'm just going to go with the Packers, man. It's not because I hate Tampa. Please don't don't go there. <laughs> I just think the Packers are the better team. And they're playing at home where they actually have sort of a home field advantage. Their offensive line is entirely capable of, of slowing down that pass rush down in Tampa. And I just think that the Packers have too much on, on offense. So for that, I think I'm going to go with the Packers.
0: Fair enough. Sebastian, who wins in the AFC?
2: Who wins in the AFC? Uh, Chiefs, Bills. Um Chad Haney can emulate uh what don't, Patrick Mahomes. Don't did don't, do. don't you <laughs> say that. He almost got that first down. That was electric. He
0: did get that first no, yeah, he was just yeah, short, but then yeah. he got ended up getting the first down after sure, 30 yeah. I don't know. So yeah.
2: like that uh, I've seen this many a time in racing where you got a team that just has to send it home, just kinda limp home. Uh you know. I don't know. I, I, I think we're gonna see some broken tables outside so,
0: of your okay. I I like the I like the sound of that cuz I'm also taking Buffalo in the AFC regardless of if Mahomes plays or not. I'm taking Bills and this is just because I think they're Allen's going to be able to throw the ball a lot better, especially throw the ball a lot better than he did in that last matchup that they had. He only had 122 yards and the Bills only lost by 9. And if he can throw for 200 yards, I mean, they'll be in a lot better position. I think they've figured out this offense right now. So I like Buffalo coming out of the AFC. And then I'm also going to take Green Bay. Just because, uh, like you guys have mentioned, that Tampa got the best of them in Tampa Bay. It's a lot more difficult to play in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field in this time of the season. So I know, Sebastian, you're nodding your head. You're you like all the haters. You like the you like all the uh Green Bay uh, logos popping up on screen here. And I don't I just I don't know. I like I like, no, the, I would, I like the Packers. Remember,
2: like, history, like, uh, a team's history is very important, and the Bucs have not been extremely successful in the cold. Uh, I think it's good that they they have to go up to Lambeau because it's one final test. If you can play in the cold, you can play anywhere. Um, you know, in the days of old, they had to go up, and... For well, the most part, they were unsuccessful, but the one time that they were, something special truly happened.
1: True. And, and if they can win this game, then what better reward than playing the Super Bowl in your home stadium? Yes. So, great great test for them up in Green Bay this weekend. That'll I'll be, be really re- excited.
2: But, but until then, I prefer not to speak. I mean, like, <laughs> I see in so trouble.
0: My also reasoning behind this is I see the Dolphins constantly go up to Buffalo and to New England to play these games in January, in December. In those in those cities, and they don't look the same because that cold is so tough to play in. This, but it's a lot colder in in Wisconsin this time of year than it is in Buffalo and uh, New England. So, I think it's going to be tough. I don't like Tom. Obviously, he can handle that cold, but I don't know about some of those other guys.
2: I mean, we did get a litmus test in Washington. It was yeah. You're, uh, oh, was don't low compare thirties in <laughs> Washington.
0: Don't compare Washington to Green Bay. Those are two it's, different it's the, cities.
2: forecast. Okay, so the forecast at Lambeau for next Sunday is 24 degrees the The weather in at at FedEx field uh two Sundays ago was uh thirty two feels like twenty something so they're they're not it's it's not a one to one because yeah. you know Wisconsin cold does in fact hit different. we'll we'll get I'd, brooks we'll yeah, get brooks, I'm sure on brooks this would one. say <laughs> be more than happy to tell us that but um you know, like, we've we we we've seen kind of the litmus test. Let's see. Now let's see the real thing.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, we'll see the real thing come Sunday afternoon because I think that's the early game, the 3 o'clock game, and then Buffalo KC is the late game. But that's all for this episode. I know we went a little bit long here. Don't tell anyone that we went long. But <laughs> we've, we've,
1: we've we've even had to cut NBA out the past two weeks. I Haven't know. said a word about that. jeez,
0: I know. So, we really got to get to them because there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, I, yeah. James Harden, that's something that we really got to talk about soon. But, yeah. But uh, Florida State will give you one last update. They're up by 11 here, 49-38, 15-11 left in the game in Louisville. So we'll leave you on that, and we'll be back next week, same time, same place, on your radio, on your computer, on your phone. And in the meantime, watch some sports, relax, hang out, do whatever, just stay safe, uh, stay positive, test negative. So, So that's our show for this week. Thank you all for listening, for myself, for Austin, for Sebastian, for Gabe, And for all y'all listening at home, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.